from Chicago, this is Bruce Dumont with our Beyond the Beltway analysis of national politics, featuring occasional injections of rumor in your window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight, featuring commentary by libertarian Bruno Berendt, progressive Mark Casello, libertarian Eric Cohn, and conservative Republican Judith Sherwin. Our program tonight coming to you from our home base at the Radio Hall of Fame in Chicago, the Paul and Angel Harvey Studios. Nice to have you with us. Again, we've got lots to talk about for the next couple of hours, but there is a breaking story. We broke about a little over an hour ago from the New York Times. It has seen some initial uh, uh, man, the initial manuscript uh, from John Bolton, and uh, one of our libertarians this evening thinks that's sort of a big deal. I think I would agree with him. And Eric Cohn, uh, tell us a little bit more about what you know about that story and the reaction it might have uh, to uh, the Senate vote. Yeah, the main contention is that Bolton is saying, apparently in the book, that Trump wanted to continue freezing the $391 million in security assistance to Ukraine until officials there were willing to uh, help out and announce investigations into Democrats, including the Bidens. Um, what I think is interesting here is it highlights Nancy Pelosi's royal screw-up in the way that she handled impeachment in the House, which is she tried to fast-walk it, which seemed bizarre to me at the time, and because of that, because of not fighting to get someone like Bolton to testify, actually taking it to court, all this stuff comes out now while the Senate has it, and it's in the hands of Mitch McConnell, and of course he has no interest in calling any witnesses. She could have had Bolton testifying, but she wanted to get this over into Republican hands for some reason I don't understand. Bruno Barrett also joins us, also a libertarian. We have two libertarians tonight. Your reaction uh, to uh, the Bolton bombshell or potential bombshell? I don't really see any of this stuff as a bombshell. I mean, the, apparently the Parnas discussion was supposed to be a bombshell, and this was supposed to be a bombshell. I mean, look, this is in the hands of the Senate now. Uh, it's true that uh, Pelosi probably messed up here. Uh, I'm wondering whether any of this really would have mattered at all. I think that the entire Democratic strategy here is to try and find ways to uh, gain some seats in the Senate. Uh, they were never going to get an impeachment out of a uh, Republican Senate, no matter what happened, not against Trump. And this is just another thing that everybody probably expected was true. Uh, you don't know whether you need to commit a crime to be impeached. You don't. Uh, impeachment, I've always said, is a political process, not a legal process. So this is going to be uh, affecting almost nothing when it comes out to a Senate vote. Mark Costello, nothing surprising here because everybody suspected that this is what John Bolton was going to say? Well, uh, you know, to, to respond to Eric's point, I would say that uh, the House doesn't need... Um, complete testimony from everybody to make the accusation. The House has the power to present the accusation. It's the Senate who's supposed to try. So I think it, it just underscores the need to have witnesses and to bring Bolton before the Senate and testify. 70% of the American people want this to happen. And I think if the Republicans don't want to look like they're sweeping this under the rug or marrying this uh, story, they should have a, have a trial with witnesses and documents. Judy Sherwin, does it look like the Republicans are sweeping this under the rug in the Senate? I, I don't think it looks that way. I think they are looking at what is a very flimsy case that came over from the House. I agree with Eric that that for some bizarre reason, Nancy Pelosi decided she had to rush this through the House. She could have gone to court. She could have gotten John Bolton. He wasn't exactly a witness who didn't want to come. Which would have taken a long time, correct? It would have taken a long time. Maybe but a year? Maybe a year. But you know what? The thing that... So what does that tell me? That tells me that what they were trying to do is in some way do two things. Take over the Senate, 
which I certainly agree with Bruno, that that seems to be the game plan. And the second one is to try to make Trump uh, unattainable as a candidate or unpalatable as a candidate to certain people in the coming election. And they're not doing that. They're doing the exact opposite. I was just going to ask you, you don't think they're winning that battle? I do not. I mean— Bernard, do you think they're winning that battle? No, I don't think they're winning it either. Anybody on the Democratic side or Libertarian side on this side? Are they winning the battle by saying, and again, when this book comes out, a lot of the battle of making him unpopular. Yes, this this is this is they're using uh, the the trial to rough up Donald Trump significantly. This book will further rough up Donald Trump to some people, Mm -hmm. even to the people who hate John Bolton. Somehow he's going to be a hero now to the the media people. I don't think it's it's affecting. I think Trump's Trump's approval ratings have been. Pretty rock solid throughout all of this. They're going up. Kind of move the needle there. They're going up. But I think what's happened is you have these competing narratives, and the American people, um, when they do care about this, and I think a lot of people do, but it becomes so much noise and static to them. Uh, you know, 24 hours of testimony that no one can watch was just to keep keep the Democrats' case on the television. Did you not watch hours. every moment of it? I was there, Bruce. I was up late. I watched a lot of it. I did not watch all of it, but I watched. You know, a long, long part each day. But you know what I think? As a lawyer, as a trial lawyer, I think what happened Saturday morning was absolutely brilliant and was absolutely perfect. How many people saw it? I don't know how many people saw it, but the important people who needed to see it were those hundred people sitting in the Senate. And and for the first, I, I find it hard to believe that they heard some of this stuff for the first time, because we've heard a lot of these things before. But they heard in a very organized way how Adam Schiff's bloviating over 24 hours, which most of it was him, and it was deadly, um, how it was wrong, how these facts were wrong, how there were other things that they kept out of the transcript. I mean, that's what trials are like. Just to finish one point, when you sit in a courtroom and you have a trial, um, the first, you know, the prosecution, <clears throat> the plaintiff goes first, and you sit there and you're miserable because you figure, oh my God, the jury's hearing all of this. The jury thinks we're terrible, and you don't get a chance to do anything. Saturday morning, the defense got a chance, the first chance, public chance that lawyers for Donald Trump have had to tear all of this stuff apart. And I think they did a brilliant job, and they did it Eric, quickly. do you agree with that? Do you agree with that assessment of uh, the, uh, the, the prowess of the, uh, the, the defenders of the president on Saturday morning? I think they made the best possible case <clears throat> for their client. I've always found Alan Dershowitz's arguments about this to be unpersuasive. I have some respect for Alan Dershowitz <clears throat> because he's kind of a um, instinctive civil libertarian and he's a defense lawyer, and I have a lot of sympathy for both of those things. And I think he sees an opportunity to poke holes in uh, a, a government case here. But he his... really got ripped up on Saturday Night Live last night. Yes, yeah. Uh, welcome back, John Lovitz. I mean, that's, that, that was a fantastic part. I don't know that he cares. But in terms of like persuading you know, the audience of 100 people that, that Judy mentioned, for impeachment and remo- for removal, there's a floor of probably about 47 votes. I think there's a ceiling of about 53 votes. I don't know that any of this matters and how much of this will filter out to the general population, which is the point. my point about Nancy <clears> Pelosi. <throat> 
if it would have taken a year to get all these people called and actually before the House to testify, why don't you want an entire year of having to talk about this and incentivizing Donald Trump to tweet about it in the way that we know he will, which is the turnoff to those kind of suburban voters that they really need if they want to win the White House again? I don't understand the political strategy by the Democrats in this Well, it would have, maybe it would have pushed it beyond the November election if... if uh, right. It could, but you would have influenced the November election <clears throat> in a way that this thing is going to be over in January, and I don't think we'll have much of an impact on the election at the end. Judy? Yeah, I mean, I think that, that the other thing here about not waiting, um, I mean, she really shot herself in the foot. I really think she did. And whatever chance she had with the Senate, I think that's gone. It's absolutely gone. Uh, three, three days of listening to what they listened to didn't convince anybody. When we come back, let's find out who has been listening. Uh, 1-800-723-8289. Not only listening to this program and this discussion, I'd like to know how many people out there really watched any significant amount of the testimony uh, in the trial of Donald Trump in the Senate and how many uh, maybe watched uh, yesterday morning. Thank you. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Uh, uh, Mark Casella, I want to go to you and get a, get a sense uh, of your assessment of uh, how Adam shifted. Because obviously all the Republicans thought he did horrible. Most people in the media thought that he was brilliant and did a very good job. And I will say, having watched a lot of his performance, I thought he did a good job. And I, you know, I am not necessarily on that side, but I can step back and say that as, as a presenter of his facts, I thought he did a good job. And I think the, the, uh, the PowerPoints that they provided, I thought, uh, were, were well done, as well as the video roll-ins. Yeah, I am not a particular fan of Adam Schiff, but I, ha- I, was, I admired his presentation, and I think his closing arguments uh, will stand for history. I felt at times he wasn't speaking really to the room. He was really speaking to the historical record. Oh, yeah. And so uh, I, you know, I'm a I'm a fan of uh, you know old film, and so I felt like uh, this is a little Mr. Smith goes to Washington moment. Uh, he, he was his little tears welling up in his eyes at time, and he was really it was moving. And I thought, and, and some of his videos have gone viral, and um, so it's resonating. I think with the, some of the American people. Uh, where do you come down? Well, first of all, I'll have to admit to everybody listening that I haven't watched a minute of any of it. I've just read some articles on what's happening, and I expect the Republicans to say this is about nothing, and I expect the Democrats and the media to. And the, but I repeat myself. Did you not want to know the other side? I mean, why, why did you? I mean, um, by the way, you're not the. First first person who I've heard say that, but right. why did you not watch not a second of it? Well, 
first of all, I'm <clears throat> pretty darn busy doing the stuff that I'm doing. But the other part of it is that it, it just really doesn't interest me. I mean, look, I'm reasonably certain uh, Donald Trump stepped in it with whatever kind of silly things he feels he needs to do to try and go after people. I don't think it rises to the uh, uh, point where you want to impeach a person. I'm not convinced that any of these impeachments, I mean, Bill Clinton is not going to be, he might be remembered for the fact that he got impeached, but he's not going to be remembered uh, for the the specific acts as much as he is having presided over a relatively successful economy. Mm-hmm. And I think you, you can say that about whatever happens with Trump in the election. I think you're going to be able to say the same thing. But everybody who hates him isn't going to like him anymore, uh, and anybody who is uh, supporting him isn't going to lose support for him based on any of this stuff. You're, you're, this is going to be a turnout election and who gets their side out. And maybe there's like three to five percent of the people who might think about something being undecided. Does, does no one believe that there is a, a, a goodly number of people out there whose minds can be changed? I don't does think anybody so. believe that? I don't think okay. there's anybody. Eric. No. No, I think um, what underlying what Bruno said is what we joked about before the program, program began, which is, LOL, nothing matters. You know, it's John Bolton's manuscript, even if he'd called to testify, I don't think you're changing any of the votes in the House, no matter who would have been called to testify and what they would have said. I don't think we're changing votes in the Senate, no matter who'd be called to testify and what they're going to say. If you were speaking to Adam Schiff again, I think Schiff, that was the best version of Adam Schiff. The problem is, if you're going to accept the premise that this does matter, which I don't really, the problem is is it took him this long to get to the best version of Adam Schiff. Mm -hmm. And when he led off making up that transcript of the phone call, he beclowned himself and he Uh beclowned the process. And why anybody should take him seriously at this point after he did that is a is a wonder to me. I right. could not agree with you more. Go ahead. I, I have to agree with Eric. I mean, the the um, reading that transcript, you know, making up that whole Godfather-like thing, which never happened, um, and spending two years during the Russia collusion saying he had secret documents that proved beyond a, a reasonable doubt that there was collusion. He didn't have anything. Why anybody listens to him anymore, I have no idea. But... I had the unfortunate... Just speak speak to my point. Right. I was impressed with his presentation. Okay, so... And I've been following this... I mean, I'm not saying I bought his presentation. What I'm just saying is people that that were ripping him apart, uh, I think, missed something. And I'm just wondering whether whether I was the only person out there that was somewhat impressed by what he had to say. Okay, so... And the way he said it. Well, first of all... Uh, I, as a presentation of of something that he was trying to present, it wasn't terrible. I didn't like what he was presenting, but the points that I think were a problem for him is his his ability to make things up, which he does frequently. Uh, his addition of you know, I mean, I was reminded of the old movie from the 70s or the 60s. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. I mean, he was he, he practically said the Russians are going to invade the United States if we reelect Donald Trump. This is a bizarre thing to say. Mark. And he shouldn't be clown himself, as you said, that way. Yeah. But I would say this. Unlike Bruno, I was actually very ready to hear the defense. I was on the edge of my seat. I had my notepad. I'm ready to watch this. And what I was really disappointed by was the fact that uh, when uh, Papuro came out and he said, the president did absolutely nothing wrong, and he always acted 
in the nation's interest and then in the national interest. And then they went on to engage in their own emissions while they were sitting there accusing the Democrats of emissions, which to me made a case that the, the American people want to see these witnesses on a stand, cross-examined. They want to see documents. And, and there are some people, I think, Bruce, who could be swayed, but they want to make their minds up on their own. We don't want to be told by Adam Schiff. We don't want to be told by, by Jay Sekulow what we should think. Are you going to watch the next couple of days? Oh, I'll be there. Yes. Okay. Uh, Bruno? Um, maybe based on all of your really, really smart comments here, I might watch a little bit or I might try and find some clips. But uh, like I said, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm like most of Americans. I, I don't think this, whatever they say, I don't think it's going to matter in the outcome. I'm very interested in to see what is seeing what happens over the next few months before the November election. And that's about all that really interests me in terms of in terms of what's going to happen or what impact it's going to have. I think it is an important election. Eric? From the political perspective, um, I thought that was an interesting point that the what Donald Trump requires of people is that they stand by every claim that he makes, and he continues to assert that this was a perfect phone call. Mm -hmm. And that is just absolutely idiotic, in my opinion. If they had the ability to acknowledge that what he did, probably, if, if not being illegal, was just not a great <clears throat> idea, yeah. or at least poorly phrased in the way he was going about doing it, if they could acknowledge just a little bit of that, I think it would go a long way. But because he demands this kind of absolute loyalty that nobody can cross him on anything, they have to keep defending this idea that it was a perfect phone call, and it just was not. Judy, is that what's going to come home to, to, to bite him in the butt uh, when he goes for votes no, in, in I, suburban I, uh, I, I, Republican areas all over the country? No, I don't think so. And I think that the lawyers for Donald Trump have, have two things they have to do. They have to lay out the case for why what he did was not wrong. Okay, because I don't believe it was wrong. You have, he's never said that, I mean, you know, it took him a while to kind of accept the fact that the Russians interfered in the 2016 election. Just as far as, I uh, know, as far as I'm concerned, that had to do with his ego. You know, I won this election fair and square. The Russians didn't have to help me. That's what he really believes. But. He also knows that, and everybody knows, because it was published in the Washington Post four days after his, or before his inauguration, that the Ukrainians missed in the, in the 2016 election. This is not a surprise. So nobody is saying that they did it and the Russians didn't. And he's not saying it either. But what, the, what his lawyers have to do is they have to make the defense for him. And as, and as far as witnesses are concerned, they have to make it absolutely clear to the Senate that there it's it's again it's like a trial. There are no material facts at issue here. None. All right. Does the, the president well okay, go ahead, finish your point. Yeah. The the president the president withheld aid. The president <clears throat> is very skeptical of foreign aid. This is not the first time he's done this kind of thing. But it's not his prerogative to withhold it. Uh, yes, it is. No, it is not. No, yes, it's not. it is. No, it's absolutely not. Okay, well, go back and read Article There's 2. I'm sorry, but so, it, it, he, does, he does control the It was appropriated policy. by Congress, and it was not his ability to withhold it. He was Here is my, withheld let, it before, me, and other okay. presidents have let done me, the same Let me thing. switch gears and come so back to something that's going to happen soon. And that is, Republicans in the Senate... Uh, may still get an opportunity to vote on, on witnesses. It doesn't look like they're going to do it. But in the wake of the New York Times story about John Bolton's book, which uh, Eric talked about at the beginning of the show, does that give four senators or any, of the, any senators a second thought about, you know what, if we don't do it now, 
we're going to be answering to our constituents why we didn't bring in John Bolton I, when he's got this book out there and it's on the front page of the New York Times. He, Eric. No, I don't, I don't think so, in part Nobody because I don't know that any of the senators would be moved. <clears throat> they might be moved to vote for witnesses if they got a chance to vote, but this is exactly why Mitch McConnell, in being his kind of Mitch McConnell self, is not going to bring up a vote to hear witnesses. Because well, he, he wouldn't well, want to take a risk I mean, of what would happen the, there. The, the other thing is, if I never got to finish my point. The lawyers for Donald Trump have to make back it, on Mike, have so to, I'm sorry, have you. to make it absolutely clear that there are no, not any material facts at issue. That it doesn't matter what John Bolton is going to say. It doesn't matter what anybody's going to say. The facts are these. It's very clear from the testimony that we have already heard in the depositions and that the rest of the country heard on TV. And there's nothing. No, we don't need any witnesses. Wait a minute. Is, is it not germane to the seeking of the truth to find out what someone who is privy to that conversation, privy to the president's thoughts, would have to say? Whether it's in a book, right. which people are going to read well, about, you're, you're and a U.S. senator is going to have to answer questions okay. about it you're, if they don't want that person to testify, or if he were to come before the committee, raise his right hand, and under oath answer questions under oath okay so what do you have this to this evening we have an article from the new york times which as we know have published a lot of things over the last three years that have ended up being bunk we have a manuscript that nobody has seen except a few people who have talked to them we don't have any names we know the manuscript is sitting in the white house we have no idea what's in it we know what they want you to think is in it but we don't know so what's all witnesses in it. and let John Bolton testify. The plot thickens. 1-800-723-8289. Would you like to hear or see witnesses? Yes or no? We've got lots of people on the line. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans. See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives like physical therapy to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us on Beyond the Beltway this evening, wherever you're listening from coast to coast and border to border. And we're going to let our guests now introduce themselves. And we begin with one of our libertarians this evening, Eric Cohen. Eric? Along with Joe Kaiser, I host the radio program Sources with Knowledge, which airs on uh, 560 The Answer here in Chicago, Sundays 3 to 4 p.m. And uh, as of the beginning of 2020, I'm now the Director of Communications at the Acton Institute for the Study of Religion and Liberty. Uh, but, of course, all my opinions expressed here are mine and not uh, those of Acton at all. Now, you're a libertarian. I've made the point that we have two libertarians on the program this evening, but you and Bruno disagree on some points. So how would you further define your degree of lib uh, libertarianism? 
I've always considered myself more of a classical liberal than a libertarian. Libertarian is a perfectly acceptable term to me, but um, I come from a more conservative tradition. This is where Bruno and I might overlap some, that I have a conservative streak, but I also have uh, had distinct disagreements with the conservative world over the last, say, 10, 12 years. Bruno Barron, you're also here. You're also a libertarian. How do you see the difference between you and Eric? Uh, well, from the standpoint of being like here on uh, in um you know the world. I think there's a lot of good libertarian ideas, but I'm I've become much more of uh, leaning much more toward the social conservative side of things. I think that the right has made a mistake in uh, following like the think tank Ayn Rand, Galtz, Gulch, uh, no government anywhere. Everything the government does is evil viewpoint, and I think they would have been much more uh, well served to be a little bit more balanced. I think we're starting to see some of that, not only in the election of Donald Trump, which uh, actually saw a lot of economically liberal social conservatives move to his side, but you're also seeing what happened recently in uh, England with uh, Boris Johnson. Quick uh, follow-up to you. Do you believe that the Libertarian Party this year is going to have any significant role to play in who wins. I don't, you know, the, let's put it this way. I think that Gary Johnson played a significant <clears> role <throat> in siphoning off enough votes. I mean, Donald Trump is president for a wide variety of small reasons that worked in his favor. Uh, I, you know, I have a, there's a big warm spot in my heart for the idea that, the ideas that libertarians present, but they just can't get, they're three to five percent of the population, and all they're right. ever going to do is be spoiler. Well, being a spoiler is not such a bad role, if that's all you can do. Uh, Mark Casello. Yeah, I'm Mark Casello. I'm a director of English and Media Communications at Calumet College of St. Joseph and a founder and president of the Pullman National Monument Preservation Society in Chicago. And you're not a Democrat. You are a progressive. I am liberal, a liberal. Progressive. Communist. Where do, how do you want to be described? <laughs> sure. Uh, for me, I'm, I'm a, uh, I believe in social movements. I believe in uh, power from the people. I'm, I'm a democratic. I, I believe are you a democratic in, socialist? I wouldn't. I'm not. I don't belong to the Democratic Socialists, but uh, you know, I'm. I'm not uh, critical of their positions. They overlap. Um, but where I come from, and, and uh, in my politics, uh, part of what Bernie's been pushing lately is saying, you know, uh, this election is about caring for people who you don't know. And I think that's where I come from, is that sometimes we have to be caring about the, the other people um, whose experiences we haven't had, who we don't know, and ensure the well-being of all of our citizens. Judith Sherwin, tell us about yourself. Yes. Uh, every time you say I'm a conservative Republican, I get a little a little stick in, in the side because I certainly didn't start out life that way. I, you I were used... a very uh, anti-war liberal. Liberal. Left-wing. Not that left-wing, but anti-war uh, <clears throat> liberal. Yes, social liberal. Worked in the civil rights movement, all that good stuff. And I, I feel like the Democratic Party left me behind a long time ago. Um, so I'm kind of left with Republican people to vote for and conservative, what are today conservative ideas, which when I grew up were not terribly conservative. Uh, I practice law in Chicago. I also am on the faculty uh, of the law school of Loyola University. And of course, my opinions expressed here are my own and not theirs. Um, and, um, and I love coming on the show. Great. Let's go to Joy, who's listening to us on KXLY, one of our oldest affiliates in Spokane, Washington. Go ahead. Um, can you hear me? I can, Joy. Go ahead. Okay. Um, you know, I, well, I'm a Democrat, and so I believe that the House managers did put on a very good case, um, and I did not think the 
the Trump's lawyers did. Um, but what is upsetting me the most is that since Trump was elected, I've been listening to conservative radio shows. Mm-hmm. And many of the hosts have made this into a joke. So we joke about the impeachment. Um, we joke about the sham. Uh, and I just find that, I mean, I feel like our, our representatives, our senators, our government, I feel the most discouraged and upset at the point that we are at now. You, you listen to the House or the Trump's lawyers and also those who are interviewed, the senators on their tweets or when they're interviewed, they will not address any of these issues almost directly. So if you talk about um, the uh, holding back the, um, the, the money, oh, they do that in four or five countries in the list of countries. Or if they talk about um, uh, firing Maria, um, the, the ambassador, <clears throat> they'll no, talk right. about, oh, Yovanovitch, oh, you know, he can do that. Well, let's look at the way it was done. And I think that's what made um, the House managers' testimony so strong is that they, they showed this whole thing going on that the letter was a small part of the transcript of his phone call was a small small part of and people and the republicans they will just not acknowledge any part of it and i think it's one of your speakers was saying that if you follow trump you've got to say everything was perfect and my gosh no matter what you're going to say about the different witnesses they all tell the same story and if i had something if i stole something and i had 17 people say that that all this had happened even though someone may have not directly seen me but they saw me sell the piece of jewelry you know at a pawn shop and they had this and that and that mm-hmm. i mean there are some conclusions you can come to, right. or also, you can at least listen to the arguments, you know, and the Republicans you know, are not. Joy, one of the other things that's happening here is uh, the difference between what's happening in the trial and then what's happening in the broader body politic, and where the, where the Democratic goal is to, is to rough up President Trump so that he is unelectable in the fall. That, that's the long-term goal. If they can't get him out right away, they certainly want to get him out in November. And again, the other thing that's happening independent of that is there's news organizations around the United States that are discovering stories, including the New York Times story, which uh, Judy doesn't have much confidence in. But again, it's going to dominate news next week. I'll predict that. And the point is, they're, they're, whether it's an interview uh, with Lev Parnas by, uh, uh, you know, by MSNBC and Rachel Maddow, or whether it's an ABC News story, which has a tape recording uh, of President Trump in his own words, his own voice, uh, making comments uh, from Lev Parnas, who he says he does not know. These are things that are out there in the broader body politic, and it gives it gives senators an opportunity to look at it. And maybe there isn't enough of them that are going to stand up and say, wait a minute, let's learn more about this. But it is having some impact, I think, on the broader public. And the question is, does anybody really care about it?
And one of the big stories this past week, or I think, I think an important media story, was a story that came out from NBC and then NBC, ABC, and then NBC picked it up, was a videotape of Lev Parnas talking to Donald Trump about ousting the ambassador uh, in Ukraine. And this is how that unfolded. This was recorded from a cell phone of some sort at a dinner involving him and the President of the United States, and you will hear Donald Trump's voice. Let's listen. The biggest problem there, I think, where we, where we need to start is we got to get rid of the ambassador. She's still up over from the Clinton administration. Where the ambassador was. Like yeah. He's basically yeah. walking around telling everybody, wait, he's going to get impeached. Uh, just wait. Like me. <laughs> <laughs> it's a Okay, uh, now that's that's playing. Uh, how does everybody react to that, Judy? I want to turn to you. Yeah, you I mean, heard this. How do you react to that? Okay, so so Donald Trump is the president of the United States. Yeah. He has a foreign policy. He has foreign policy goals in the Ukraine and everywhere else. Right. He's got an ambassador in the UN, or excuse me, in the Ukraine, who is walking around saying, "Oh, don't listen to him. He's going to be impeached." And well, you know, he's he doesn't really know what he's doing, and he should you shouldn't have any faith in anything he tells you. Why would he want to keep her as right, the ambassador? Here's, here's, here's my, and he here, has the right question. to First fire all, her. But no, but in, in he, there's no question that he had the right to fire her. And so, what's wrong with that? But but, but here here's the point. He has said that he doesn't know Lev Pernis. That's what he said. You know, what Just he said. That, what, <laughs> what he said was, I've never had a conversation with him. He that did. sounds like a conversation. <laughs> Come on. I don't know. I don't. It was the other voice, Parnas. Yes. yes. Okay. So maybe he forgot it. I don't know. But he he's no, he is no, apparently yeah. no. I'm serious about that. He meets a lot of people. This is some guy who was at a dinner with him. But you know, but you know, Judy. Here, here's what with you know, here's what it's like. We know he's here's, met him. Here's what this sounds like it's to not me. Impeachable, you know. It, it it's <laughs> he has the right to do it, no question about it. Yeah. But he said he didn't know the guy. But here's the other one. He said I've never if, had a conversation with right, well, him. Okay. I, I I disagree with that. But what I'm saying is that he said he said that. And he's having this conversation with some guy who, who, again, he allegedly doesn't know. And this guy is telling him that he's got a bad ambassador in the Ukraine. He's not hearing that from Pompeo. Right. He's hearing it from some guy. Is he taking he seriously know. this random he's guy? Yeah. He takes him seriously. But, but, we got to pause. Okay. I want to get everybody's reaction to it. Okay. This, this conversation is a little incredulous. Uh, tell me if I'm wrong in being so surprised about it. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. 
protectpressfreedom.org. Paperwork. Talk to Rudy, you love him. All right, Bruce Dumont, we're back on the air, and uh, I want to get everybody's reaction to uh, you were, everybody was wanting to jump on Judy, so go ahead. Eric, you first. Well, I... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what do you, you don't say? Have to if you agree with her. Agree I don't want to jump her. on Judy. It's like I mean the. What do you say about that? I mean you know, the these two people were essentially bagmen for Rudy Giuliani, who has been at the president's behest, kind of freelancing um, and doing foreign policy work. The, the whole thing. See, this is again. It comes back to the point I made earlier. That I think Joy was referencing, which was if there could be some acknowledgement that, you know, even in kind of the passive voice wave, mistakes were made. Even if they could acknowledge that, it would go a long way, but you can't. You have to, you have to get into this like, well, oh, did he really know Lev Parnas? Did he really meet him? Is this, is this someone he actually, actually knows? Actually, we're, as a decent, reasonable, thinking human being that can have a conversation like the five of us are having on the air here, I could acknowledge that that might be the case. But here's the fact. There is no... There, there is no mistakes were made kind of stuff that might have happened in the '80s with Reagan or anything like that. the The country is, the country is way beyond that. I mean, it was beyond that when Bill Clinton was told, "Well, this might really cost you your presidency," mm-hmm. and he just looked at his people and said, "Well, we'll just have to win then." Everything now is blood, bludgeon through it, shamelessness. Get out the machetes, circle the wagons, dig the trenches. No one is going if if. Anyone, the, f- the moment someone in the Trump administration says mistakes were made or the moment Donald Trump says mistakes were made, that will be, be- the beginning of the end of anything he's accomplished or his presidency, not because it's the decent or not decent thing to do, but because we live in such a toxic environment in this country now that no one can do that. And, I don't, and, and, and this goes right to the answer of why, why a Republican, even a Susan Collins or someone like that, will not vote for witnesses. And it's just this simple. The minute she votes for witnesses, she gains, what, 10 or 15 percent or 5 percent of some suburban women, and she loses the entire Republican base, which will never show up to vote for. Right. That's right. exactly right. So right. One, one thing that boggles my mind is, and hopefully the American people out there are thinking about this, is there's no thought that enters this president's mind that he doesn't immediately tweet out. Yet here we have him withholding $391 million of aid, and he doesn't have a press release, he doesn't tweet about it, he doesn't say, hey, Ukraine, we're going to clean you up. And then secondly, he's telling Lev Parnas, apparently, to get rid of the ambassador when he has the full authority to recall the ambassador. So why isn't this a State Department conversation? What kind of foreign policy are we running in this country where the president is telling just rando people, uh, let's let's get rid of her, let's take her out, and then later telling the president of Ukraine she's going to go through some things? I want to come back to something that Eric said, I think, as we were going to break, as the music might have been playing, and that is... Uh, why are you not saying this to Mike Pompeo? Why are you taking the word of Rudy Giuliani's client that this uh, ambassador has said bad things about him? I mean, he just took it as gospel. Yeah, and Jay Sekulow made that argument in the defense's statement. He said, you know, the president has a right to listen to his trusted advisors over his intelligence services, which he that. feels... You know, I do, too. Are, it, I agree with that as well. what is, one of, to me, one of the most amazing things about the Trump administration, which is Donald Trump was a guy who primarily in American consciousness got famous for telling people you're fired. Right. And he has this complete inability to actually do it to people's faces as president of the United States, and I find it Fascinating. It's very ironic. Okay, oh, well, it's, well, the cameras aren't there. Jack in Wilmington, North Carolina. Nice to hear from North Carolina tonight. Been a while. Go ahead. Well, y'all, 
10 or 12 years ago, I think, Bruce, you were on the, uh, you were here local, and I've been listening to you ever since. Well, very good. Yeah, well, yeah, we're, uh, I'm glad you're hearing us on the website. And again, just uh, to remind you that uh, wherever you're listening to us on radio stations, wherever you are from coast to coast, uh, if for some reason we're never there or we're not there the next week, you can always find us on Beyond the Beltway. You can always find us on YouTube, and you can always uh, uh, find us on Facebook. But we hope to continue on many of the great radio stations in America. And uh, uh, we used to be on on a, on a station in Wilmington, but it's nice to hear from you tonight. How can we help you? Okay. My question is, you know, when the first impeachment came out, Trump was and his supporters were all wanted to basically call a bunch of witnesses. Let's call the Bidens, let's call oh, yeah. Adam Schiff, let's do the thing. My guess, in my perception of what's going on with the political race or the election coming up, is Biden is probably Trump's toughest opponent. He takes the senators like Bernie Sanders off the road, basically, by the trial. They've got to come and listen to him. So why wouldn't... Trump's team, even the Democrats, be pushing for, say, 50 witnesses. Say, the Democrats can call 25, the Republicans can call 25. We can get shifts of staff, uh, all the Biden stuff. Um, and then the corruption, the, the, the Biden stuff smells pretty bad. That is put front and center. You take the, you make the trial last four or five months, all the Democrats, Senators are having to sit in front of this stuff, and we drag the whole thing through the mud. Well, the, I think one of the reasons why the president would like to get it over with is that uh, so far uh, this this trial has the president uh, on defense. He's the one that's being impeached. So uh, the more there's witnesses, the more there's cross-examination, you're going to have people digging deep to try to find answers to these questions, and you know, once you part, once you start pulling a string uh, in a in a ball of yarn, or even as witnesses, if you don't know what they're going to say, you could be opening up all kinds of other stories that would be valued valid stories. Maybe not in the trial in the Senate, but they would all be valuable and viable stories for the general public to consider as they decide this year whether they're going to vote to re-elect Donald Trump or throw him out of office. On that note, we have to say farewell, and our guests will all be back for hour number two. If you're listening to us on Coast to Coast on radio, don't go away. There's going to be a newscast coming up, and we'll be back on the other side. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks for joining us tonight from Chicago. about how much someone drinks. Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? 
If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers or require e-verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light. Noise and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Here's Dumont back in Chicago. Thanks very much. We continue on this week's edition of Beyond the Beltway, and we've been talking about impeachment. We're going to be talking about other political matters uh, as this hour unfolds. But again, uh, we would be remiss if we did not uh, spend a moment talking about the big story in America today, and that is uh, the tragic uh, death by helicopter crash of Kobe Bryant, the uh, legendary star of the of the Los Angeles Lakers. And uh, th- this is one of those stories that uh, it, it, it dominates the news. It's going to continue to, I think, dominate the news for the next couple of days because there will be a funeral. Uh, but again, it's, it's, it, it's, it's, it's a shocking story to hear, even though I don't think anybody at this table ever met Kobe Bryant. I don't know whether there's any really dyed-in-the-wool basketball fans here. But again, uh, Judith, when we came in today, you wanted to make a comment about it because it, uh, it is a dominating story, and it is a shocking story when, uh, when someone dies tragically and quickly. 
It's it's a very shocking story. I mean, here's a young man. He's 41 years old. He's a basketball coach for his child who's 13. He's taking her to a practice, and this terrible tragedy happens. I mean, this is this is beyond, you know, if, if he weren't famous, none of us would know about this, right? But he is famous, and so we all know about it. But it's a terrible tragedy when you think of it in the human terms. And and it just brings you up short in your own life. I mean, everything is so temporary. Everything, you know, we just don't see this all the time. And when something like this happens, it really makes you focus on how fragile everything is. It's it really a reminder does. also, I think, that the last conversation you ever have with someone that you love or people that you love should always be positive and uplifting. That's and right. So, any other thoughts uh, on on this? Other than we're we're all sort of it's a collective mourning that uh, someone has died tragically. But yeah, I would say um, <clears throat> we've become a really fragmented society, and and in sports uh, and athletics is as a, a place where we come together and we kind of put aside our differences in politics. So, uh, a figure like Kobe, who looms so large uh, in our culture, uh, won't be forgotten. And I'm a professor. Um, I know my students were very passionate uh, about Kobe Bryant, and um, you know they're mourning him uh, certainly today. Okay, uh, let's move on. Let's go to George, listening to us in Austin, Texas, on KLBJ. Go ahead, George. Nice to have you with us. Okay, thank you, Bruce, and uh, fellow commentators. You asked a question earlier about allowing witnesses. Yes. Uh, on this impeachment, I'm adamantly against allowing witnesses, and I can tell you why. Uh, okay. I believe that to be so is that when Adam Schiff and Nadler were conducting those investigations on the House side, they were very dishonest and unfair in their investigations, and they disallowed the Republicans in many ways to to come back and refute some of their claims, and they even wouldn't allow them to have witnesses. So I believe that they structured this thing, and it was like a frame-up job, and they played hardball on the House side, well, how about the Republican Demo- uh, uh, senators play hardball on the Senate side? That's what I'm thinking. Bruno, uh, I, I have to agree with them. I mean, I was and I was going to make that comment. It's um, you know, if they had something in the Constitution where the, where you kind of like had a conference of the House and the Senate, and they got together and decided on processes in advance or something like that, and that's not written in the Constitution, and and that's okay that it isn't. But this impeachment was a luck of the draw situation. You ended up with a Democratic House that was going to do what they were going to do no matter what, and they had made that decision. And then you have the Republican Senate that's going to do what they're going to do. And both houses are empowered to do things the way they want to, and they are empowered to suffer the consequences of the way that they do them. And it's what the Founding Fathers wanted. That's exactly what they wanted. In in a way, I'm I'm sympathetic to the idea that if the House didn't call witnesses, then the Senate is under no obligation to, even though I think from the perspective of wanting to get the kind of full width and breadth of the truth, I think it would be good if they did. But can take at least a a moment to acknowledge what the caller is saying and what Bruno is saying, that um, statesmanship is dead, that there is only the concept of what is politically and partisanly advantageous to do. No real understanding of, you know, well, you know, even if it is not necessarily in my political side's interest to do this, maybe it is in the interest of the truth and the nation to do it. 
none of that seems to exist anymore. And we live in a more hyper-polarized and partisan society at a time where the political parties have never been weaker, and we seem to be in some kind of a spiral because of it, and I think it's sad. We also live in a word, world where the media defines uh, what's, what's a profile in courage. And it seems to me that all the pressure now is on Republicans to demonstrate a profile in courage. One of one of these Republican senators to stand up and basically uh, turn against uh, or be four witnesses, which conceivably could be viewed as turning against the president. But again, nobody talks about a profile in courage on the Democratic side. Is there anybody on the Democratic well, side to, that's going to stand up? To, 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 to well, their credit, and I don't, and not Judah says too. I'm. I, there was the woman who, I think she was a black Democratic representative in Michigan somewhere, and she said, impeachment isn't right here. We should just censure the president for what he did. Yes, and but not within, in the Senate yet. Well, no, it wasn't than, in the Senate yet. Than, but they, And within 20 minutes, she's forced to recant by the Pelosi Inquisition. Right. Why, 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 what, on what grounds does some leader force somebody to recant a situation this, like that? This is just the flip side of what I was saying earlier about, like, you can't, you can't as a defender of Trump, say it wasn't a perfect phone call. You can't say that it's not prudentially wise right. to but, proceed with but, impeachment. But this Sello. is the world we're in now. Marcus Sello. But the framers anticipated this, and, and they debated this. They wanted the, the House to have the power to make the accusation, the Senate the, the right to try it. And Hamilton said, uh, it ought not to be forgotten that the demon of faction will at certain seasons, extend his scepter over all numerous bodies of men. And we're in that moment. This is the season. And so what they did, the the safety net they built in, and it's going to play out um, precisely how they envisioned, which is they said the best we can do is require a two-thirds majority. And and because that would suggest that it is the will of the people, that there is something to it. Other than that, it might be a partisan thing. And and we have to accept that. So So they'd be happy. So I think they'd be very happy. We we discussed this this last week. Everybody agreed last week. I think they would be happy with what's going on. And the voters will decide in November. And the voters should decide in November. That is exactly. I mean, to impeach the president with with what now 11 months left in his term is or remove him is is crazy. If the people of this country think there's something wrong with Donald Trump, then they should go to the polls and they should get rid of him. And that's, that's, that's how the country is supposed to work. Unfortunately, in the world we're living in now, with the tweets and, and Twitter and Facebook and everything else, nobody wants to live that way. Everybody wants their position to be the one that is ascendant. Everybody else has to stop. I, and the, the, I want to talk about this censure idea that you brought up for a second. I mean... If anybody had any sense, and and I really do believe that the Republicans don't have any sense and the Democrats don't have any sense, but if anybody had any sense, whether you think Donald Trump was right or not, whether you think the call was perfect or not, somebody would say, you know what, let's just censure him, okay? I bet you would get a majority in the Senate that would go with censure and you'd pick up some Republicans. You are never going to get Republicans in the Senate to throw them out of office. But they would censure him because a lot of them don't like him. I don't I know about that. I, I, oh, no, I think, I, I, I think I agree get with it. I'm not so sure that it would get to 35 as uh, the former Senator Jay Fleck has said that if everything was a secret ballot, uh, no, Trump no, would, would I, no, but I think votes. We've got to pause. Okay. 1-800-723-8029. More calls when we come back from Chicago.
a new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Roostermont back. Uh, we're going to switch gears and talk about some other issues right now. First of all, uh, a week from tomorrow is when everyone will gather in the great state of Iowa for their big caucus. And, uh, of course, that's the big issue of uh, uh, what is likely to happen next. Uh, and, again, some uh, recent polls uh, came out. Uh, in fact, let's take a look at those. These are the Democratic uh, matchups. This, these, is a, these are New York Times. Uh, you will see that in Iowa, we have, we have Iowa and New Hampshire. In Iowa, Bernie Sanders, actually the order in both states is the same. Bernie Sanders in first place, then Pete Buttigieg, then Joe Biden, then Elizabeth Warren, then Amy Klobuchar. But again, uh, Bernie Sanders has opened a big lead. He's up to 25% in Iowa. He's up to 22% in Nebraska. Uh, a, a goodly lead over Buttigieg, who's in second place. And I'm going to turn to our pro-Bernie Sanders supporter. Um, are you confident that you're going to have a victory and uh are, have you been going to Iowa to help uh, your guy? You know, I have not been to Iowa, but I know lots of people who are there knocking doors, um, sharing their stories. And um, he's got great surrogates there right now. Michael Moore's out there. Um, AOC's out there. And he's really generating a lot of energy. He's got a huge ground game in place since 2016. So I, I think, uh, I, you know, I we can never predict. It's a very fluid race, but I, I think Bernie's looking good. Um, depending on what happens with Warren's 15%. If she doesn't hit that threshold, I think um, she could really, uh, her supporters could give Bernie an extra boost. We should also mention that obviously the big story, a big story journalistically is last week the New York Times endorsed Amy Klobuchar and Elizabeth Warren, which seems to be <laughs> right. a, 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 a non-endorsement. But again, the, the, the Des Moines Register, which is one of the, the largest newspaper in the state, uh, they endorsed uh, Amy Klobuchar today. I'm sorry, they endorsed uh, Elizabeth, uh, Warren. Elizabeth Warren today, and uh, that could give her a, uh, give her a leg up. Right, but she she has been fading in Iowa. Right, but uh, she's, you know, I, I think uh, if she does rise in the poll, I could see some Bernie supporters going back. There was a lot made of that spat, but I think the progressive wing understands the strategy here that they've got to unite. Do you agree with the, some of the national assessments that really uh, that Buddha judge? has an opportunity to knock off Biden in Iowa and then come back and knock him off in New Hampshire. And if he does that, he will probably be spinning out of the race. Joe Biden. Um, it's tough to say. I think it's such a fluid situation, and it's it, it's so hard to predict. And not being a fan of any of the Democrats thinking that Amy Klobuchar is the only one who might be sane enough to that, that I could ever live with, um, I, would have to, I would have to beg off that question. I think... I think 
you know, Biden is still like the, the establishment thing. But what I think is interesting about all of this, and we're looking at this with CNN going after Sanders on, on TV and, oh, and now the real rumor game. that Obama is mm-hmm. going to come out against Bernie. Yeah. I think what's interesting about this, and it goes to something Eric said uh, over the break, I think the establishment is dying before our very eyes, <laughs> both both the, the, the center establishment, mm-hmm. the progressive, progressive Davos man, uh, the establishment uh, conservative, the establishment liberal. I think they're all just dying on the vine. And I think an Obama attack on Sanders would actually help him. Look yeah. at Sanders' numbers yeah. since uh, since CNN. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I have to agree with That's, that. And, and go ahead. No, I said I it's an interesting point that um, is what we were talking about over the break. I think it echoes that. Until the United Kingdom recently, the United States is the only major democracy in which the political parties have given up their right to pick their nominee. And we have gone to an actual primary and caucus process to the point where I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was a Democrat primary um, several decades ago where the person who won the primaries was not the nominee. They chose a different nominee within the confines of the convention. Um, but you, it's not doing well, I don't think, for either of these parties or for the nation writ large that you had this kind of 16-person ridiculous conflagration in the Republican primary in 2016. And we're living through a different version of that now on the Democratic side. The one thing that, that uh, Michael Bloomberg has talked about is he does not like this monopoly of Iowa and New Hampshire. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we, we, we will have another discussion of that after Iowa and New Hampshire are done. But again, those states have conspired to be in a leadership position. And again, they are not representative of, of the American, you know, electorate. But again, I'm, I'm looking at, uh, at a, a split between in the first four between uh, Iowa and New Hampshire and South Carolina and Nevada, not necessarily in that order. You could have a split. Mm-hmm. You could certainly also have a leader of the establishment and a leader of the, uh, the, the Democratic Socialists, or this, the, the very liberal Democratic position. But then what happens, it seems to me that it sets it up for Michael Bloomberg. That when he when he comes in on Super Tuesday, Bloomberg could wipe everybody away at that particular at that particular moment. With his money and his message, and his message being, I am the Democrat who can get Republican votes that will sink Donald Trump in the fall. No Democrat. Million dollars. Yeah. No I, Democrat can say what? that. I know he he's got a lot of money. He's throwing a lot of money into this. Um, but so far, I don't know that it's really had much of an effect on anybody. Uh, That's in the polls. Well, He's jumped ahead of Buttigieg in some... Betting odds have him third now. Yeah. National betting odds have right. him third. Yeah. But, can you, see, yeah, but can you see the Democratic Party, the current Democratic Party? <laughs> you're, you're, no, you're shaking your head. I, and I have to agree with you. The current Democratic Party with Elizabeth Warren, Bernie Sanders, I mean, except for Amy Klobuchar, I, I agree with you. Yeah. She's the only one on the stage who isn't completely out it's of her his mind. Bloomberg Klobuchar. Bloomberg, oh Bloomberg is going to, I can't see the Democratic <laughs> Convention nominating this guy ever, okay? I, and and I have to agree with one thing that did you say, Eric, or a number of things you said, but... We did a lot better when we picked the Democratic nominee in smoke-filled rooms, okay? We we have come up with some ringers, okay, over the last several years. The the Republican primary in 16, I can remember sitting with some friends of mine in Sweden listening to the first Republican prime uh, um, debate 
and just laughing that the whole thing was completely stupid. Mm-hmm. All right, and and it, this well, is let not the voters speak. Okay, that's the, what the fa- but the voters, fathers wanted. The they voters, wanted to, I don't know that the voters wanted this kind yeah. of speaking to go every, on. Every good democratic <laughs> institution needs elements of it that are not democratic, and the elements of right. it that were supposed to not be democratic were the parties themselves, and that the parties would pick their nominees, and then the public. Well, there, there but no but parties. as it evolved into kind of what it was a more stable situation, you, the right. parties picked their nominees and the people pick the winner. Mark Costello, right. you're, you're a Bernie Sanders supporter. Yes, I am. You know that the Democratic establishment has been ganging up Bernie for, on Bernie Sanders since 2016. <laughs> That's right. right. Your people are really pissed off about it, but my mm-hmm. question to you is, yes. if he emerges as the left-wing candidate, All right. there's going to be a stop Bernie movement. And, yeah, and I'm like saying that. is that if you have a split decision between Biden and Buttigieg, and they can't get their act together and become a dominant challenge to them. Mm-hmm. Bloomberg is standing there, and people who support either of those, Biden or Buttigieg, probably could go to Bloomberg, and Bloomberg sails past them. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't being facetious. Picks right. Amy Klobuchar as a running mate. I mean, do do you see the do you see the yeah, via, the potential viability of that? I I certainly do, and. Um, that, but I think that's why the energy uh, that Bernie's really got to bring out the youth movement. There's got to be – they actually have to show up. They have to vote. But yep. and this is what I was going to bring yeah. up earlier is that we're approaching the 10-year anniversary of Occupy Wall Street where I think laid the ground. And I remember back then you were really uh, – Bruce was very critical of Occupy Wall Street because they didn't immediately take uh, – get involved in electoral politics right. like the Tea Party did. But now those, those uh, participants in Occupy Wall Street, they're now in their 30s. Mm-hmm. They've been living with that student loan debt. They've got spouses who are getting ill sometimes. They've got families to raise. And now you're seeing, you know, even my, my most uh, staunch anti, anti-electoral politics uh, uh, friends, they're going in and, and they're voting. So I think if you're bringing out a different constituency, if you're bringing some energy, I just don't see the party being very excited about a Michael Bloomberg. But it would really be a test of how much money can buy our election. There also right. could be a, there could be a battle in the Democratic primary between socialism and capitalism, Certainly. which is what we thought that the general election could be if Sanders wins the nomination with yes, Trump. But, but, but again, th- this the, this battle could be going on yeah, for the heart it, and soul of the Democratic Party. Right, but in the Democratic Party, I think the socialism side of this equation wins. There, it's, do you remember the Democratic Convention in 2016? I do. I mean, we're going to have a similar crew sitting there this time around. They are never going to, I, you know, I may regret this. They're never going to go for Mike Bloomberg. I can't imagine Money any, talks. Any, the problem I, with it Mike, always the bothers problem, me when I have a guest on Beyond the Beltway that says something <laughs> is never going to happen. Right. We, <laughs> I have lots of Bruce, taste yeah. of people Bruce, saying that Bruce, Bruce, yeah. Bruce would never I may regret that. that yeah. but, I, I think know. you're correct about that, and I was one of the people who said Trump is never going to be elected, yes, and, I, I, and, and I was proven it. wrong. Um, but I will say this. Hillary outspent Trump three to one and, right. and with a lot of dark money and every single establishment entity behind her, and she lost. And this goes to my point, which I think I think that this triumphalism, and I call him progressive Davos man, of like controlled, controlled, managed, regulated capitalism, Redistributing money for the uh, the super pagan, non-religious, uh, blue state elite uh, living in the suburbs, and and they thought that was triumphant. They, they, okay, the, the there was the the gay marriage decision, and they thought this is the kill shot. 
uh, red America, red conservatism is dead. And boy, were they wrong. And I think I think we're seeing all over the world right now not a ascendancy of Sanders socialism, but the actual beginnings of the rebellion against it. Yeah, I won't. I, I won't I, say I, it with I regard to Bloomberg. Never, ne- never, never, and never always. But the problem with if you look at the other Democratic candidates, I think if I try to put myself in a Democrat mindset, there's something about all of those people that I can find that I like about them. I think the overwhelming problem with Mike Bloomberg is there's something about Mike Bloomberg that everybody can find that they absolutely hate about the guy. That's exactly And I think right. that's the overwhelming sentiment on him, and that's why I don't think he has much of a shot. Is it his religion? No, no. That's I th- the question. We'll answer it when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont. The economy is not working for everybody, especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers? Or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers count. Every year, millions of Americans use opioids to manage pain. And reliance on opioids has led to the worst drug crisis in American history. That's why the CDC recommends safer alternatives, like physical therapy, to manage pain. Physical therapists treat pain through movement, hands-on care, and patient education. No warning labels required. When it comes to your health, you have a choice. Choose physical therapy. Visit MoveForwardPT.com to find a physical therapist in your area. Bruce Schumann back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. And uh, uh, we have as our guest this evening sort of representing... Uh, well, a libertarian and a, and a liberal on one side. We have Mark Casello uh, from uh, Saint uh, Calumet College of St. Joe. And also we have Eric Cohn, who's a talk show host for WYND. He is one of our libertarians this evening and representing the other side of libertarianism. We have uh, Bruno Barrand is with us and, of course, attorney Judith, Judith Sherwin, who is a big Trump supporter. And you, not so much. Um, I'm... I'm not a Trump supporter. I've always been a Trump skeptic, but I'm looking at the alternatives at this point. And I, I don't have to vote for Donald Trump living in Illinois, but if I lived in a swing state, I'd be thinking about it. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, we'll be discussing it each and every Sunday night between now and uh, November. And uh, endorsements are flying out left and right. And uh, you want to talk about an endorsement of uh, Joe Rogan. For these, for those people who may not know who Joe Rogan is and sort of the powerful position he holds in media these days, Uh, Give us the background. Joe Rogan is a comedian, and he hosts probably the most popular podcast in all of America. It's hugely successful. Um, It could get people to listen to an interview that is sometimes three hours or more long. He made a statement that I I thought the endorsement itself was kind of interesting because he's he's, totally in a Joe Rogan way, if you listen to him, is like, you know, I think I might vote for Bernie Sanders. And, of course, Bernie Sanders' campaign, being a smart campaign, latched on to this and amplified it. But what's fascinating to me is two parts of it. One, I think Joe Rogan's reasoning for why he endorsed Bernie is, to me, not great. He basically said, I like Bernie because, you know, he's believed the same thing over time. Uh, Consistency is a much overrated virtue. I think Bernie Sanders' ideas are bad, and we should have a conversation first about whether or not the views he holds consistently are good or bad ideas, and then kind of reward people for having consistency in them 
after that conversation. But the more interesting thing is the reaction from the left, which has been some people, of course, cheerleading that, great, this is a fantastic opportunity. Joe Rogan has a platform that reaches people we might otherwise not be able to talk to, and this is fantastic. And then the overwoke left is fit to be tied about this because, in their opinion, Joe Rogan is a bigot, largely because he platforms people, which is he has people on his podcast who has ideas he disagree with or they disagree with, and he listens to them, and he doesn't scream at them, and he doesn't shout them down. Mm -hmm. And this is something that they absolutely cannot stand. And so this kind of great awakening moment that we are living through, there's a segment of that that will not tolerate Joe Rogan endorsing Bernie Sanders, which I find fascinating. Mark's... Yes. Where do you so, come down on this issue? Yeah, so Professor? I, you know, uh, in defense of some of the woke people, you know, if the reports of the media reports I'm reading are true, which is that in 2013 he made some comments about seeing rise of the planet of the apes and that uh, he felt like he was descending into Africa, going into a largely African-American theater. If he said that, well, that's decidedly racist. But the key thing here is when you're building a movement uh, across race, across class boundaries, those six million Joe Rogan listeners uh, would be a welcome addition to any campaign. And how do you reach people unless you start talking with them? And how do you educate them? You know, we can't shame people into silence uh, in this country. And I, I think a large part of the progressive movement understands that you've got to have conversations and dialogue. But a large, a large part, part of the doesn't. movement <laughs> doesn't shame people all into and wants silence. to completely remove those people from society. And that is the reaction that I think we're seeing. And well, this is my, you know, in, in the same way that I tend to think that the kind of Trumpism that exists now within <clears> conservatism <throat> in the Republican Party is a toxic element, I think the wokeism that exists on the left is a toxic element and can eat the left a lot. Let me I ask agree. you this question. If, sure. if, if Bernie Sanders got elected, how much of what he promises would he be able to deliver if he has not brought along a Congress that thinks like he does? So not much. You know, I, I was thinking about this because, um, you know, incrementalism as a response to what President Trump has done is not going to work. But I think we'll be just swinging the pendulum. If Congress doesn't come along, if you don't get that supermajority, if you don't have a, a grassroots movement of passionate people who can get out in the streets and, and put some pressure on, you're going to end up with a bunch of executive orders that can be repealed by the next president. And, and we'll be having a Trump, Trump part two where Bernie's signing executive orders we know are going to be repealed. Um, but I, I think, you know, to disagree a little bit with Eric about um, the consistency point. Bernie's, you know, motto is "It's not me, it's us," and the idea is that you know he's got an aspirational agenda, but it's really a, a movement. He's looking, uh, you know, it's it's not the you know the, the Venezuela Maduro first term. It's really more a question about okay, if a corporation makes a hundred billion dollars, um, should any of that profit? you know, flow back to its workers, a little bit more of it. And I want to look ahead and ask yeah. a political question to you. Because sure. you want you want Bernie Sanders in the White House. Yes. Uh, he's an elderly man. He's had a heart attack. People worry about his health. Yeah. Uh, same people may be concerned about Donald Trump's health. My question to you is, how important is the vice presidential running mate? And would you want a running mate that is going to expand his base and maybe bring in some more moderates or do you want a dyed-in-the-wool liberal who will follow through on the policies of Bernie Sanders should uh, the, great, the, you know, the great reaper call? So I, I'm open to a more moderate uh, running mate, uh, but I, I do think uh, certainly it should be somebody who broadens that base a little bit um, as well. And so, yeah, so I'm open. Is there anyone in the field that does that? Uh, you know, 
I think in the current state uh, of affairs, I don't see him running with a Klobuchar, but I think uh, a Klobuchar-Bernie yeah. ticket would be interesting. Yeah. Um, I, you know, that, that could create some dialogue. And You mean a Bernie Klobuchar A Bernie Klobuchar ticket, ticket. yeah. yeah. I, I think, yeah, I, I think uh, Klobuchar is perhaps everybody's vice presidential candidate. I really do. Yeah. I can see her with Biden. I can see her with Bernie. Um, I don't think... Not with Elizabeth. Not with Warren. Not with Warren. Yeah. No, not with Warren. But I don't know who Warren would be with. Um, I I mean, um, I wanted to get back to the endorsements of Warren. I, I think it's sure, worth... Sure, go ahead. Yeah, it's, it's worth mentioning... Um, that the New York Times and, and what I think is one of the most bizarre comments of the of the last couple of years referred to her as a great storyteller. I, I couldn't <laughs> believe it's like did anybody edit she this? Things up. He, she <laughs> makes things up. And then oh, and saying inveterate liar. Right. And then well yeah, but that is they meant it as a compliment. And then <laughs> and then the Des Moines Register said that she's going to hold the truth higher than anything else. And I'm thinking, are these people living in they, the same they, world well, they, I'm I living think, in? I think they are. And this goes back to the, my comment on the Rogan endorsement. I actually, I was a, I'm, am uh, still a huge Jordan Peterson fan. And that's where I first got introduced to actually listening to Joe Rogan for extended periods of time on his podcast and the stuff that he did. And I think it's interesting. No one, there's probably no way to figure this out, but how much of Bernie's bump actually has to do with the Rogan endorsement, because if you look at the number of views and listens he gets, whether it's three hours or whether it's three minutes of his podcasts, he probably gets more views than ABC, and maybe not ABC, NBC, and CBS, but probably more views than MSNBC, Fox, and, and, uh, and cable, CNN, and maybe more than all of them when it comes to news. And I think this is what's happened, and this is one of the reasons why I think so much of the media, New York Times and, and the cable news, Fox included in that, are going so crazy, is I think that they, I don't know whether they feel it or whether they realize it, but I think they're losing strength by the minute. And you're getting Rogan, you're getting some of the podcasts that are out there on YouTube and, and, and elsewhere that are literally killing them and they don't understand that they're dying yet. And, okay. mm-hmm. and I, I think that that's what's starting to happen. They have been for a long time, which is how you get the New York Times endorsement of two people where they right. say, you know, it's like, well, you know, there's this kind of right. like, you know, we should you know, have a more moderate lane and here's Amy Klobuchar. But if you want to get nuts, let's get nuts. Here's <laughs> yeah. Elizabeth yeah. Warren right. for you. Right. It, the idea that if you perceive yourself as having a role of trying to shape what people do as the opinion page of the New York Times and then saying, here's one option or here's another one. Yeah. You choose. Yeah, right. It just shows that they, you know, they have no real they're influence, lost. and no, they're, they're finally lost. understanding that right. they don't. Right. Yeah. You know, one other issue that may be emerging, uh, and that is uh, uh, the the gun rights battle that that took place in Virginia this past week. And but Judith, you're worried about sort of a return to the wild wild west. Well, I, yeah, I really am. I mean, I think there's there's a couple of forces at, at play here in this country. Uh, one of them we see here in Chicago. We're seeing it in in uh, in New York. Um, this idea of criminal justice reform, and the main idea is that we shouldn't have bail for criminals. We shouldn't keep people locked up when they are arrested on the streets. Uh, and so you have a situation like we had last week, which I don't I don't know how many people even know this happened. They had a mass shooting in Seattle by two 
hardened criminals running around the streets with guns who shot several people. And between the two of them, they had 61 arrests. And they were all out because there's no such thing as bail in Seattle. So this is this is terrible. I mean, so what you have then is the reaction of some normal people. I never knew anybody who had a gun. I mean, no one. I never knew a single soul who had who hunted or who who had guns in the house. I now have a number of friends who have gone out and bought a gun, who've gone to courses where they learn how to shoot a gun, where they learn how to do concealed carry, which you can do in Illinois. And people are really starting to worry that they cannot walk around on the streets unless they have a gun. This is a catastrophe for this country, I you think. Agree, Mark, well, you agree that it's happening, that there's a, there's a growth in... Gun awareness. Well, this brings us back to uh, Michael Bloomberg because it's, you know, the color of your skin determines whether you can carry a gun um, or not. But that's not true. The people Um, at the rally in Virginia, plenty of them were black. So, but but here's the thing. Like in Chicago, you know, I've I've had students who talk about the gang issues and they'll say, you know, I carried a gun with me because the other guys carried a gun. This is the good good guy with a gun argument. Um, But that student, if he gets picked up uh, with that gun, he's he's trying to defend himself. He'll end up in jail for that firearm. Uh, Maybe, maybe uh, not. Maybe maybe not. If he has a permit, not if he has a permit. Okay. And if if he behaves like an intelligent person, you know. So I mean. If, heaven forbid, he lives long enough. Um, we got and- to pause. Okay. I'll be back with the final segment in a moment. A new exhibit from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Stay tuned. Rock on TV. Artifacts from the Jackson 5, Sonny and Cher, Elvis, Cindy Lauper, ZZ Top, Eric Clapton, and more. Now at the Museum of Broadcast Communications, 360 North State Street, Chicago. From Bandstand to Gaga, let's rock on TV. For info and tickets, visit museum.tv. You have the right to know. The right to know about culture. The right to know about the economy. The right to know about technology and to know about sports. You have the right to know about education and politics and the weather. You have the right to know what's happening abroad and in your backyard. But above all else, you have the right to know that this right is under attack. And we must work to protect it. Because in order to be free, we must be informed. Understand the threats. ProtectPressFreedom.org. Bristol back in Chicago. Thanks very much for joining us. Bruno, you were going to make a comment on uh, Judy's wild, wild west uh, concerns. Well, there was, uh, there, there was that. I, I also wanted to comment on what Mark was saying about the gun, the, the gun issue and um, whether you're concealed carry or whether you go to jail or whether you're allowed to carry. And, and I think... Um, w- one of the things we have to start doing in this country again, and both sides have to are guilty of this, and both sides have to stop doing it and start doing something better, and that is to to have some trust and some even enforcement of things. Uh, black people should not have to worry about whether they're carrying a gun or whether they're 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 going to be taken away from having a gun. And uh, but what you raised with the crime issue. It's amazing to me that essentially the part of the progressive movement wants to legalize crime. Uh, and you know, people in California, you, you can't say you can't say or do anything that stops some criminal, and that's not criminal justice reform. That's the legalization of crime. Um, you know, so so I just think it's time for all of us to start realizing that 
you know, there's a reason everybody wants to get armed. There's a reason everybody's uh, afraid. And maybe I think the fear might be overblown, but we all have to start understanding each other again instead of despising each other and just immediately going to the barricades. I think we should just add a point of context here, and I encourage everyone to read Steven Pinker's fantastic book, The Better Angels of Our Nature, Why Violence Has Declined. We do live in a period of time that is less violent than uh, human history has ever been. Now, there are points of it where things like Judy has mentioned, and particularly the violence that we see here in Chicago, Mm -hmm. that are terrible problems that need to be addressed, but we should be rational about this and at least understand that this isn't even the 1970s anymore. Violence is so much less than it was back then, and we should be cognizant of that. In our first hour, we spent a lot of time talking about the impeachment, and we spent a lot of time talking about Adam Schiff, whether he was effective or not, and there was some disagreements um, amongst the, the guests here this evening. The one thing I would like to say is that if if there's someone that really screwed up last week, I thought it was Jerry Nadler. I think when Jerry Nadler sort of insulted the members of oh, the yeah. jury, oh, yeah. uh, he he really slept on a on a banana peel big time. Right. You never insult the jury. You gotta have you gotta make friends with the jury, and he did not do that. And um, very and and then and Adam Lisa Schiff, Murkowski, who was she was open to having witnesses. Right, she right. singled him out as right. someone that that well, stepped over the Adam line. Well, and I think Adam Schiff, I think Adam Schiff kind of picked up on that a little bit too, because you know he made this comment about people are going to have their heads on a spike. He really impugned their integrity. You can't do that. These are the you know the jury. They got to believe you. You don't win if the jury doesn't like you. That's that's number one rule of a trial lawyer. And he used to be a U.S. attorney's or assistant. Oh. He should know that. Mm-hmm. One other thing also that a lot of people are concerned about, and that is uh, this Chinese virus and and there's quarantine. Well, some of the largest cities in China are now being quarantined. I thought it was interesting that we're we're talking about all this impeachment stuff and, and, you know, how many house managers can fit through a eye of a needle or something like that. And in, in the meantime, we're, we're looking at a scenario, and, and maybe it just turns out to be like past scenarios, it turns out to be a problem. But I, I think we, at our peril, we don't understand how thin the seemingly uh, ironclad nature of our wonderful Western existence and economically uh, uh, rich existence might be when Literally, you could have something that was greater than 1918, uh, where huge swaths of of a population can end up dying in the wrong kind of disease. And we don't know how bad this coronavirus is yet. But uh, right before I came in here, the headline was that they've just expanded the quarantine to cover 40 million people, which is Wuhan and, and the two largest cities around it in China. And then the, the, the sheer number, there's 1,000 Americans. The, the United States government is now working to evacuate the 1,000 Americans that are inside the quarantine zone. Um, so clearly, people are worried. Uh, somebody's worried, and they're worried enough to quarantine whole population. So this is something that bears watching, and not to panic, but to you know maybe everywhere you go, carry around your uh, antibiotic lotion and uh, maybe a mask. Yeah, and certainly it, it it's a story that traveling would, it it could it could sweep past uh, impeachment and Iowa primary and, and New Hampshire primaries in a hurry uh, if it continues to grow. How would, does anybody want to grade how we have responded to it thus far? I mean, the, uh, it I seems, mean, it the Ameri- seems like we're doing the right thing. It seems but. like the American response is completely reasonable. I mean, you would want to get people out of China if that's the right, case. Right. But you know, like you, what you were saying in terms of, um, you know, feeling worried enough to quarantine that many people. 
it is the Chinese communist government we're talking about, yeah. and it's not as if human rights or any of those issues are really top of mind for them. Yeah, but so overreaction really on behalf of it, it could be true. They it could, could be, be really completely worried. accurate. It could just be another symptom of the Chinese government being the Chinese government. Yeah, well, and we ha- we went through similar fears with Ebola not that long ago. Right. And many times we've seen these kinds of fears that have not been proven out. So it's not that I don't think concern is wrong. I just urge caution on all of these things that well, people it, tend to overreact, and cle- we shouldn't overreact. Yeah, clearly, I, I wouldn't want your listeners to be overreacting or freaking out. The interesting thing, and I, I'm the last person to defend China's lack of human rights uh, on anything, but they do have a tremendously dense population in, in certain areas, and they have had SARS and they have had things. If you're going to get any kind of an outbreak like this, the chances of it happening in a place like China or possibly Africa for slightly different reasons, it, it, I think this is one of those situations where caution is probably the best uh, overcaution. Is Going back the best to result. where we began this program, the Democrats, as expected, have already announced they are now demanding that John Bolton appear before the Senate because of the bombshell nature of at least the described bombshell nature. Of course they are. Of, I thought uh, I of course the they are. The sound of um, a, a spoon being banged on a high chair somewhere. <laughs> right, right. Of course they <laughs> are. Another bombshell. Well, and what, what I think... Totally so tell me if I'm completely <laughs> off base on this, but doesn't all, doesn't all of this have the sound of like a planned, like this was all... Scripted. Well, this kind of is we, like going to be able. Someone at the publishing company said, "We'll leak this." The well, timing, you, the leaking. You, you look at what happened in in the Kavanaugh hearings. It's exactly. Every five or six days, there was another shoe that was falling. Or every three days, right. and, they and I think that's exactly that's the they kept plan. bringing them up. It's it'll it'll happen again. Same thing. And we'll even find out uh, whether uh, Hunter Biden pays his uh, paternity uh, responsibilities in. Uh, Arkansas. You know if Joe Biden is the nominee that the mother of that child is going to be sitting in the audience at the debates, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Without, without, without question. As he describes Hunter Biden as his surviving son. If she doesn't have an On that note, I want to thank Eric Cohn for being with us, representing libertarianism, at least his slice of it. Mark Casello, thanks very much. Always good to have you. Judy Sherwin, thank you very much. On the right side, and also Bruno Barron, we thank you very much. Our thanks to Fritz Goldman and Andrew Marshall for their assistance in the production of this program. I'm Bruce Dumont. Good night from Chicago. Do you worry about how much someone drinks? Do you feel angry or depressed most of the time? Do you feel neglected or unloved? Do you feel that if the drinker loved you, she or he would stop drinking? If you answered yes to any of these questions, you are not alone. Not everyone trapped by alcohol is an alcoholic. Families and friends are suffering, too. Al-Anon and Alateen can help. Call 1-866-200-0223 or visit alanon.org slash help. My name is Bobby. I'm a veteran and lost my leg to a roadside bomb. My victory was going from a wheelchair to becoming a weightlifting champion. I'm Sam. I'm a veteran. My victory was finding a career that I could be proud of. At DAV, we're on a mission, helping veterans of all generations get the benefits they've earned. I'm Cece. My victory was finishing my education. When America's veterans win, we all win. Help us support more victories for veterans. Go to DAV.org. The economy is not working for everybody especially those in jobs where unscrupulous businesses keep wages lower by hiring millions of illegal workers. Those businesses could use the government's e-verify system to prevent illegal hiring, but they refuse. 
What's best for the country? Let businesses continue to hire illegal workers? Or require E-Verify, raise wages, and recruit left-behind Americans? See what voters want at eVerifyWorks.com. Paid for by Numbers USA, because numbers... GTG, BRB, OMW, be there in a few. You may think that these kinds of texts are fine because of their length, and you can easily send them at a stoplight. But no, answering one text can take your attention away from the road for five seconds. And traveling at 55 miles an hour, that's enough time to travel the length of a football field. Make good decisions. Don't text and drive. Visit StopTextStopRex.org. A message brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Project Yellow Light. Noise and the Ad Council. Chris Domine is a husband and a father. Chris is an athlete. Chris is even an Iron Man. But 10 years ago, Chris was facing a very different story because his kidneys were failing. Basically, the doctor said if you don't get a kidney transplant and if you don't do dialysis, you, you are going to die. Fortunately, Chris received a second chance at life made possible by an organ donor. You know, your well-being changes from loss of hope to hope to better times ahead. More than 100 million people in America are registered organ, eye, and tissue donors. People of every age and ethnicity because they believe it's the right thing to do. Imagine what you can make possible by leaving behind the gift of life. Learn more and sign up as an organ, eye, and tissue donor. Go to organdonor.gov. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. 